everyone, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy. I write the blog Unpickled, where I have been talking about my experiences of life after alcohol since my first day of recovery in 2011. I tell my story there, and I invite you to share your stories here. And you know, that first day when I decided to quit drinking, it was a revelation to me when I realized I could stop waiting to hit rock bottom. I could stop waiting for something awful to happen, and I could just quit. That was an amazing revelation to me. And uh, I think it was part of the reason I decided to write a blog, because I thought it was just so... Uh, such a new idea. Well, guess what? Turns out I didn't in- invent that. There's a lot of other people that have had the same experience at different points in the trajectory of their relationship with alcohol. And today's story is one such story. So my guest today is my friend Kate, and Kate uh, is alcohol-free by choice. Nothing terrible really happened to make her decide to quit drinking. It's just that she started to have a lot of light bulb moments. She's going to tell us about that now and share with us what her life has been like along this pathway. So, Kate, welcome to the Bubble Hour. Thank you so much, Jean. I'm really happy uh, to have you here. Yeah, and I like the phrase that you called light bulb moments, because there (laughs) there definitely were a few uh, bright ones for me. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you're here to talk about it. And I know when I asked you to be on the show, you were like, what, me? Uh, I don't know. But the truth (laughs) is, like, we don't all have those really dramatic experiences. And sometimes there's a lot of richness in exploring what the subtleties were, the nudges that the universe gave us that made us realize, like, I really don't need to wait any longer to know this is true. So uh, I'm really really glad that you're going to share that with us because you did have a lot. Probably looking back, I mean, we were talking about this before, um, as I was convincing you to <laughs> to do this <laughs> podcast, and uh, the expression, you know, the old expression is hindsight is is twenty twenty. Oh um, yeah. For everyone that says, oh, I really didn't have that big of a problem, but then they start telling you about their stories of drinking, and you're like, oh well. <laughs> well, and that's so true. And um, yeah, it, every time you know I have an opportunity to to talk with. Uh, you know, some, I call them, you know, soul sisters, friends who have also been going through this journey of of not having alcohol or substance use in their lives. There's so many moments that you do look back and, you know, the norms or whether it's, you know, just internalize what we, what we think is normal and where, where we think we were well or healthy, uh, you know, it's amazing how that can change over time, especially when you're moving into a better place. So, yeah, I'm happy to talk a little bit about how um, I've made the choice to be alcohol-free, which is pretty still huge for me to say that. Um, it's pretty exciting. That's cool. And so I love how I you just phrase it as moving into mm-hmm. a better place. Yeah, so let's yes. start by just getting to know you a little bit. Tell cool. us a little bit about yourself yeah. and about how this – relationship with alcohol sort of formed and morphed and got to where mm-hmm. it is today? Well, I, I'll i start with, I go back to, say, December 2015. And I think that's the time that I had, you know, late one Friday or Saturday night, and I was Googling a wellness 
retreat or I wanted to get away. I felt that I was going through a lot in my life. Um, I was in the, I was going through a separation that was definitely headed, you know, to divorce. It wasn't, uh, wasn't going to be uh, resolving itself. I have uh, a job that can be um, quite stressful, a lot of responsibility and frankly, just, you know, didn't, wasn't very happy with um, where I was at that point. And clearly when I think when I was Googling for, you know, wellness retreat and a getaway kind of gives you a sense of that I really needed to, I mean, I think escape is probably the right word, but uh, there was a sense that I needed to, I wanted to reset in some way. And I live in Victoria, BC in Canada. And interestingly, through the the mystery that is the Google algorithm, um, I came across a number of different wellness retreats, but one of them was put on through an organization called She Recovers, which happened to also be based out of Victoria, BC. So it was it was I think it was December or January 2016 that I actually ended up uh, registering for the retreat, which was scheduled for May of that year, and it was in Mexico. I knew when I signed up that it was alcohol-free, and that to me was almost like whimsical, you know, like, oh, look, like a week without a glass of wine. Now that's going to be an adventure. How is that going to work? Well, you know, thinking that it was almost like something I could probably do for a week, um, but it was a bit of a, um, it felt like, you know, that would actually be like a bit of a deprivation, and when I look back, it's because whether it was just, you know, some low-level depre- depression or, you know, what I was going through in terms of work stress, I had got to a place where my ritual after a day of work and getting home was pouring that glass of wine and maybe it turned into a second glass of wine and not every night, but fairly often would turn into a bottle of wine. And it it blows my mind now to look back at just physically how I was, physiologically how I was handling that kind of alcohol intake, Um, but also knowing that, you know, no wonder I wasn't feeling great because you can imagine what you feel like the next morning and it just kind of snowballs over time. So I, I would say that in terms of my relationship with alcohol, it was something that had become habitual and was just part of, we see it all the time. You know, you've had other guests on your show talk about this. And certainly, you know, when you look at some of the bloggers out there, you know, talking about the, speaking out about this culture of of alcohol as the norm. And, you know, whether it was drinks with colleagues after work, um, alcohol just seemed to be part of what you did to de-stress and, um kind of, you know, kick back and, and uh, you know, that's what adults do kind of thing. So by the time I got to, you know, the next few months and uh, was heading off to the Shoe Recovers Retreat um, in Mexico in May 2016, I actually had a work conference several days immediately before the co- headed down to Mexico. And um, it was funny because there was one night, and I think it was the night before I was actually flying out, um, there was, as can be with 
professional, you know, gatherings and conferences, is, you know, lots of connecting with colleagues from different offices, and the alcohol is pretty uh, free-flowing. And I really, really tied one on the night before I was headed to Mexico. And I realized that, in hindsight, I had I had let that that kind of deprivation mindset that I'd kind of been joking about when I registered for the retreat. I realized that I did have this mindset of, listen, I'm not going to be able to drink for a week. So I really, you know, really want to almost like I want to get my fill. And I, yeah, yeah it's just <laughs> it's funny to think of now, right? Because I, actually, I remember like as I'm headed to this retreat. The next morning going, what is that about? You know, that was that was a choice that I made. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I reflect on now when I think about how was alcohol serving me was that in a lot of those situations, social or work-wise, I realized that part of my confidence and my extroversion really came from, gave me comfort to have had a glass of wine or two. And now I look back and I'm not sure how, you know, when, when I, and I do function in those environments now without alcohol, and everything just feels so much more, um, it feels more natural for me. But I think in the past, part of it being in those kind of social situations was, was actually lessen, lessening some anxiety on my part and, um, but it, but what just wasn't recognized at the time. So, um, so yeah, I'll talk a little bit about a couple light bulbs <laughs> that went on. You referred to at the beginning, Jean. And I have to say, you know, some of the eye-opening and the light bulbs going on were when I arrived at this retreat in Mexico and met such a fantastic group of women. I didn't know what to expect, um, I've been to had been to several you know retreats before, and uh, I'm a person I would characterize as somebody who is a seeker. I really enjoy um, and and certainly strive to live consciously and uh, be creative and open to different perspectives. Um, I, like I'd been to Hollyhock up in Cortez Island on a couple of retreats. And but this one was different because there was something practically different about what was going on, and it was I knew part of the mandate and part of the the um, focus for these retreats was you know we're all recovering from something, but out of respect for women who were recovering from drugs and alcohols that was off limits, and that felt like oh I'm going to be on this beautiful beach in Mexico you know without a Corona or you know without a drink, and what I pretty quickly picked up on was that I had this um, norm or this message that had been in my life probably since I was a young adult that having fun meant drinking. And when I, you know, after a couple of days at this retreat, I realized all the connections that were going on, the conversations, the and it was and the joy and the laughing. Oh my god, the laughing. I remember, you know, 
laughing about the laughing at one point because we (laughs) were just so, I mean, it was just wonderful. And, you know, being able to enjoy myself without drinking was a pretty big awareness for me. And what I also really enjoyed was connecting with several women one-on-one. And I still remember talking to you, Jean, that's where I first met you was, you know, on the, on the, um, on the deck or the open area of that beautiful um, retreat house and how you had shared part of your story with me about, you know, how that one glass of wine turns into two and that, you know, sometimes if we start changing or hiding our drinking behavior, you know, what's that about? And I just remember thinking about that and, not to say that one person's story means that, like, if, if you can relate to it, that you're having exactly the same experience, but it resonated with me. Like, I knew that in my own gut that that behavior was not serving me. And I had never really talked to anyone about what, what my drinking was. Um, I, you know, as I mentioned, I was going through a separation. Um, my partner didn't uh, live in the same home anymore and we had very similar drinking behavior. So it's not like that was a cause of, you know, stress or um, argument or discussion, particularly as part of our relationship. So hearing you and, and other women talk about how alcohol had start to become a problem in their life uh, really uh, woke me up. And where I found I got caught at that time was part of the dialogue around, you know, what the different modes or or definitions or labels are around drinking and are you an alcoholic and, you know, what are the paths to recovery. And so part of me got a little stuck for a while in that place, but I still knew at 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 a very deep level, whatever that was and whatever the language was, that... And whether I, whether I did have, you know, quote, unquote, if I had an addiction or not, I knew that alcohol was, a, was way too much a part of my life and it, I wasn't living my best life, no question. When I came home from that retreat, um, you know, it, wasn't, it was not, certainly not the end of a lot of my exploration on these issues, but it was, it was a huge game changer um just to, the 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 feeling of support of combined with you know what's our connection to each other in community how could we how could we support each other um i just knew that that was the beginning of something for me and i was i felt just so full of light and so full of love and so lifted up after that experience um, it was just, it was, it was, yeah, it was life changing for me. I have no, I have no, I don't think that's exaggerating in any way. <laughs> I have to just jump was, in and, and yeah. interject something because, um, I just wanted to share what my experience was in meeting you on that first retreat, um, mm-hmm. was that my memory of one of our first conversations was we were all kind of going around like saying what we were there for and uh and you said oh i'm i'm here i'm not here for 
an addiction. I'm going through a breakup, and I've just had a really rough patch, and I'm just here for self-care, and just, uh, you know, I'm here to kind of mend my heart. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. And like you say, like you are a seeker, and you ask a lot of questions of everyone, and you were just really interested in in um, everybody's story. Like I could just tell you were a people person who was curious about people. So, so I, I don't particularly even remember um, mm-hmm. that conversation that we had where I was telling you about. I do remember talking with you, but I don't. I didn't yeah. remember what we were talking about because because yeah. um, you didn't in any way like in any way indicate that you were like oh. <laughs> No, I didn't. No, so I, I was there at the like retreat. I was talking about myself. And um <laughs> yeah. Uh and yeah, like just didn't I didn't know what was starting to process or bubble up for you yeah. at all cuz you you if you were having any moments of clarity or light bulb moments you were keeping them very close to your chest at that point and yeah and, and I think that's a, for you. that's a totally fair observation cuz I I think I really was like I was journaling like mad you know both on the beach and in my room um at night but um it was just more you know who are these women and oh man like they're so vibrant and 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 yet you know you know it's it's a journey so a lot of for a lot of people who were there um excuse me <clears throat> you know it was kind of like still you know struggling with that relationship with alcohol and and you know the role that it plays in our lives our friends our family other you know other challenges but yeah i was definitely firmly like yeah i'm going through a divorce having going through a rough patch i'm a, i'm a workaholic that's really what my what i'm recovering from and you know, all of that stuff, quote unquote, you know, around anything to do with alcohol, it was completely, you know, kind of under, under, not under the surface, but I certainly wasn't, you know, really talking about it at that point. One of the things that I loved um, was the yoga at those retreats. And I found that, um, and, you know, heard the saying before, and now I just, but it was the first time I ever heard it at the retreat was, you know, how do we use body work, whether it's yoga or otherwise, to get at the issues in our tissues? And when Taryn Strong said that, I really felt that there was a lot of wisdom in listening to my body around um, my health and my wellness and what was right for me. And when I have been out of balance, I have you know, relied both on food and on drink, alcohol in particular, um, to to self-medicate, right, to just kind of numb stuff out. And the yoga experience was really powerful me, for me, and I think it was a way in which I, I really think some of that awareness, like those questions about, wait a minute, like, where is alcohol fitting in here for me? And and it really sparked that that flame for me. One of the things that was kind of scary at the retreat, which I haven't really talked about a lot, is that one time, you know, when we were, I think it was, whether it was during Shavasana or another floor-based move, that was the first time that I actually felt a lump on my breast. And I thought, that's a bit funny. I don't remember that. It was May. I just had a clear mammogram in December. So what five and a half months previously, 
And I took note of it, you know. You know, we all know as women, you kind of have those feelings and it's in the back of your mind and you kind of go, hmm, I'll keep an eye on that. And, you know, fast forward a couple of weeks when I got back home here in Victoria, B.C. from the retreat, went to the doctor, had it checked out, and on July 29th, I was diagnosed with stage 2B triple negative breast cancer, which was, you know, even more, you know, probably the the most shocking thing that's ever happened to me, and I'll never forget that moment, and that's been a lot of what, you know, the last two years has been, uh, you know, for me is going through the process of diagnosis and treatment and, um, you know, coming out uh, a different person. One of the things that I really want to share with you is that if I hadn't had some of those reflections and the light bulbs going off about what what was my relationship with alcohol and how was I using it. Like when I got home, what was that habit about? Because sometimes it's just a habit. But there was something, you know, reaching for that first glass of wine. It never got better after that. It was like always chasing kind of that first feeling of whether it's the numbing or the Oh, I feel better or and I because I had changed my behavior after that first retreat I know um deeply that if I hadn't questioned and changed my behavior in relation to alcohol that I I I don't know how I would have responded to the news of having breast cancer. I mean, I remember thinking when I was diagnosed, even going, oh, my God, I need a drink. Like, oh, my God, like, I'm going to have to go home. Like, oh, my God, I need to, you know, tonight I'm really going to, you know, I I need to sit, I'm going to have a few drinks or it's going to be like one of those nights where I just kind of like cry, cry to myself over a bottle of wine, right? (laughs) And then I remember thinking, huh, you know, like even in all of this crap going on and phoning my friends and, you know, contacting my family and, and being scared. And, you know, in the back of my mind, I was thinking about unconsciously there was this thing about drinking. And then that's when it realized for me, like that's how strong of a coping mechanism that it had become for me. And I was able to be consciously aware of it. And, 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 and this is, you know, in my, in my situation, just say, no, I'm not going to do that. And it was not easy uh, in you know in any way that whole I mean that whole time is just a whirlwind now when I look back and a lot of the you know the the feelings and how I process things I mean I'm glad that I wrote a lot of this down because otherwise it's just you know usual you know middle age memory plus now having chemo brain on top of that it's just it's it's just kind of gone so yeah it, it was it was interesting how looking back through so many things that happened with me in the past, alcohol was, you know, it's that social lubricant. It was part of my self-medication around anxiety, um, sadness, what I thought was helping me with stress, but, you know, was just, you know, not not a great coping mechanism. And, and, And it was something that, 
by and large, my peer group and my coworkers was, you know, it was just a normal thing to do. So um, that was kind of my, my first, you know, that's what really changed things for me in terms of wanting to change the relationship that I had with alcohol. I remember hearing, um, it was just a few weeks, as you said, after we all got home from that retreat and we sort of had a little group on Facebook to stay in touch with mm-hmm. each other. And um, when I heard of your diagnosis, it felt like such a gut punch. I was like, oh, my God. Like, this woman just was just trying to get over all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know. now she's got this. And, yeah. and it was just so... I think we all, like everyone in our group, when you posted it, I think we all kind of went, oh, at the same time. Um, It just, I mean, we all felt it with you. And then the second thing that came to mind was how perfect that you had connected with this group of women in various forms of recovery, but all with the sort of collective awareness of that whatever we're recovering from, including a health crisis, mm-hmm. there's a lot of the same components of recovery in terms of acceptance and awareness and change and healing and growth and support and connection. And, and you had this tribe to walk you through this. I mean, we were all spread out all over the place, but you had this extra layer of support and cheerleaders kind of in, in the women that you just spent a week with in Mexico. Oh, and it was amazing, was really, Jean. Yeah. Talk about it that was, a little bit. Yeah, I, um, you know, and it's interesting when you when you said, you know, your impression about, you know, when we met each other and at the retreat and, and I was, you know, definitely a people person. And I think that's all true. And it's something that I've always, you know, felt that way and being very curious about other people. But, you know, over time, my, my um, for lack of a better term, like, you know, my support network, um, you know, had changed over the years. And, with that di- with my diagnosis and and as you say you know so many just the outreach from so many of you who were at that retreat it was just it it meant everything to me to be able to you know start the day on just that one bit of a lighter note of a more positive note to just feel um, the collective support and love from so many amazing women who I knew were going through, you know, so many other challenges of their own as well. And, you know, I I still have um, in my living room this really beautiful ceramic bowl with all of the cards that I received um, now going on two years ago um, from, you know, during that time. And, you know, so many of them were from uh, friends, what I now call friends, um, and certainly, you know, just beautiful connections at the time um, from women that I'd met at that She Recovers retreat that were, you know, it is it is interesting, the timing, and um, how that works. And I... I believe that, you know, somehow that was set up in such a way and we, you know, I don't know what what influence or what spirit. It's just sometimes the way life unfolds is that I was in a place where 
I could deal with that very difficult news, newly single, um, in in with that kind of you know strong support, and funnily enough, you know in terms of timing, I loved the May retreat so much that um, I had heard that there was an, another retreat being scheduled just very close by here where I live on Salt Spring Island in August. And so when I was diagnosed on July 29th, I was booked only only 10 days later to be at this wellness, to, to be at the She Recovers Retreat on Salt Spring Island. And in the literature around, you know, and, and they talk about how, what it feels like when you're first diagnosed with cancer, you just feel, there's so many feelings that you can have, but I felt like, you know, just get this tumor out. Like, I want it out now. And the time between getting diagnosed and being able to have whatever your first treatment is, for me it was surgery, it's one of the worst periods that you can go through because you're you're helpless, right? You're, you're, there's no treatment scheduled. You're waiting. You know, the doctors are lining up their schedules. When When is their operating room space? I was caught in this place where it was like, well – it's August and the doctors are on vacation and like there's, you know, we're trying to kind of line up uh, surgery as soon as we can. And I'm just thinking, Oh my God. Right. And at first I thought, Oh, I don't know if I'm in the right space for this retreat. And then as it turns out, it was just like exactly the right place to be was to be in a space where again, to have that really, you know, supportive network and, and such, you know, to be able to, be in a place where um, I, I was, you know, I just wasn't alone and being around so many people who were um, just had been through so many different situations of adversity, it gave me a lot of hope and a lot of um, just a lot of support about what was, you know, what was coming next. Um, it was it meant it meant a lot to me because it was then it was you know shortly after I came back from that retreat that I started my leave from work and um, had my mastectomy surgery and then you know that was then it kind of you know put me into a, in a different um, place over the many months and but yeah it's the 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 connections and the community that is the recovery community is. Um, is just like no other, and and I can I'm sure that many of the people who've been on you know the bubble hour before and are you know maybe listening to this gene can attest to that is um, when you get be, to be part of a community, um, it's hard to do anything alone, and um, certainly for me um, I I had this I think double support around you know, supporting me in just general wellness, but then, you know, supporting me in in the choices that I was making at that time to to not drink. So did you open up with the group at that? Because I wasn't at that retreat. Mm-hmm. Um, did you talk, start to share with the group at that time about deciding not to drink and did you quit drinking on the day that you got your Mm -hmm. diagnosis or tell me about that because I I don't know how any of that unfolded yeah and you know and it's funny because you know there were periods of time where like I definitely had that spark of not um 
knowing that the role that alcohol played and that it was dysfunctional, like I definitely had that spark right from the beginning. But I'm, I remember there being times, um, and at the August retreat, I remember talking about, you know, the awareness about that I was thinking about the role that alcohol played in my life, and I was still on that journey, and then it was like, wham, cancer. And it was just like, you know, that video, if you think of like a quarterback, just kind of like slamming into something, kind of taking over what what the focus of my life was. I could not see it was like right in front of me all the time, cancer, cancer, cancer. And, um, and also as part of that, I was like, why, why did I get cancer? What's going on now? My, my mother uh, passed away when she was 46 from breast cancer and I was 22 when she passed away. And so I had all of this kind of, you know, family history and kind of the fear that I always feared coming to life and trying to figure out all of, you know, what was going on um, in that respect. And, you know, I got expedited for genetic testing and all of that kind of, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I, and I remember that fall um, after I had surgery I think, and I had someone visiting, I think it was in December or January, I remember, you know, them cracking open a beer and they're, you know, and I was, you know, there being a beer and I had a couple of drinks of it and I was just like, this is terrible. Like, why am I doing this? What, what, it, 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 it was, it wasn't so much habitual as that it was, um, you know, the person who was, that was staying with me that I said, no, I don't mind, you know, you go ahead if you want to have a beer and they cracked one open for me. And then I took, you know, had a couple of drinks and was like, this is just, this is just disgusting. Like I couldn't even, you know, I had no interest in drinking it, Um, which was really validating for me, actually. I remember feeling like, wow, that's, that's, that felt very good to me at that time. But at the retreat in August, yeah, at Salt Spring Island, I think a lot of the focus for me was definitely just it was it was cancer. Like I was I was trying to get you know cell service on certain areas of the of the farm where the retreat was had was held. You know, trying to you know getting returning calls from my surgeon and that kind of thing. It was very it was very manic time, and I think a lot of the focus for me was feeling supported in how I needed to stay centered and well and, you know, in a way that wasn't with, with people in my life and with, you know, with, with connections of, of people who knew healthier ways of coping. And that was really important to me. Right. Um, and I think that really meant a lot to me to, to be surrounded by, a really healthy, um, supportive group of women at that time. So did alcohol essentially kind of fade out of your life, or do you have a, a date that you consider a society mm. date, or is that important yeah. in your mindset around this? That's a good question, Jean, because I was thinking about that heading into our call, and I don't, and I don't really have a date. And I was going back, you know, through my – calendar trying to think about like you know when when was what would that date be for me and if it you know it 
in terms of like the last time that I had a drink of alcohol, um, and this is kind of, you know, fast forwarding through like a lot of what's gone on the last couple of years and kind of going through the whole kind of cancer treatment phase and coming out on the other end, um, a changed person. Um, I had the opportunity, oh, I guess it was back in, what is it now, October, in January, one of the things that was really important to me going through the experience of, of cancer diagnosis and treatment was spending a lot of, as much time as I can with family. And there was uh, a cruise that um, was booked with um, my dad, my dad's wife, some of her family from Costa Rica and myself and a very good friend of mine. And the eight of us went on a, a cruise from Seattle to Alaska in May. And it was just wonderful. Now, and part of me, as we were, um, as I was with, you know, booking the cruise with my friend, <laughs> it was funny because they offered this, like, drink package, you know. And I was like, well, I don't, I'm not interested in that. You know, and, they, and if you end, if you registered by a certain date, you got a big discount on this all-inclusive drink package, Gene. And I'm thinking, like, wow, like maybe a couple of years ago that I would have seen this. And it was clearly the way they were marketing it, like it was a big deal. <laughs> and I'm thinking, like, what are the other options, right? And it was like yeah. $50 off an excursion. Um, you know, a dinner at a couple of the specialty restaurants. And I'm thinking – what was interesting was the person who I was traveling with, um, you know, he drinks and he, but if you were booked in the same room, you couldn't get different packages. So what we ended up doing is neither of us got this obvious, obviously for me, the drink package. And that was a real shift for me in terms of like some of those behaviors, the things that I would do differently to think about traveling um, with a group of people, with family and being alcohol free. So that was that was a you know that was a shift for me. There was one evening when the eight of us got together for dinner and you know part of the reason why and I'll just step back for a minute because what I haven't talked about is one of the reasons other than knowing that I didn't like the role of alcohol in my life was that once I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I've talked a little bit about what my family history was. And knowing that for the rest of my life, I'm at a higher risk of recurrence of cancer. And when you look at what the latest research is in terms of the connections between alcohol and a range of different diseases, including cancer, and a particularly strong link with breast cancer, it's yet another reason for me that alcohol, I'm making the choice to not drink alcohol because it just, it just doesn't serve me. So, when I was at the um, this cruise in in May, um, my friend he had ordered a couple of you know, bottles of wine for the table, and of course he had said to me, "Are you okay with this? Are you, are, you know, are you okay?" And I said, "No, no, that's fine. You guys go ahead." Like that, even our whole group, even though we spent you know different you know time together over the course of the vacation, it just wasn't like a big drinker group, which was you know I hadn't met some of these people before so it was kind of a you know it was kind of a nice environment to be in versus traveling with a lot of um, heavier drinkers like some of the people that I work with which is a whole other story um, but um, my friend did 
pour me a little bit of wine in my glass, wine glass at the dinner, and which we had a conversation about about a week later because it was actually um, irked me after you know, the the conversation that, or what he knows about what my behavior was in terms of not wanting to drink. Um, and I did have a drink of it. And immediately, and that's my own choice, and that's my own feeling of, you know, in that moment deciding, you know, everybody's having a drink of wine, I'll have a drink of wine, even though I haven't, you know, I haven't had one in a while, it's no big deal. And, and you didn't want one, and you didn't ask for one, but... <laughs> I didn't ask for one, but it was right there, I know, <laughs> And you know what was an eye-opener about that, Jean, is I felt physically sick mm. almost immediately. Like I literally had one drink of it. And I kind of went, this is my body telling me what, what, what I need to know. And, you know, combined with some of my, you know, side effects from cancer treatment and other, you know, things that um, – um, you know, how chemotherapy has affected my body. Um, I, yeah, it made me feel physically sick and it just, you know, moved aside. But it, it did make me, you know, and I still do reflect on in that, in that situation, um, was probably one of the first environments where alcohol was around with a group of people. And I reflect on, even though uh, what my initial position was, you know, what I ended up doing in terms of having a drink, right? And and just, it's more being curious about what that was about. I think since that time, um, you know, how I handle those situations, um, I'm much more, I don't know how to describe it. I think I'm more relaxed about it, but it, it actually has a big, what, what impacts the situation for me is how well I know the people and how well they know me. So just this past Friday, like two nights ago, went out after work with a couple of uh, really good girlfriends of mine who know that I'm not drinking. And, you know, they're very respectful. And what I always do is uh, there's a couple of restaurants that I uh, really uh, tend to um, patronize here in Victoria. And one of the bartenders makes me the best mocktail every time. And he knows who I am now. And he knows that, I don't want to just have sometimes the only non-alcoholic drink will be kind of like a virgin pina colada or something like that. And I want, I want something a bit different. Like I want, I want the service industry and the hospitality industry to put the same effort into a nice non-alcoholic drink and not just, you know, fizzy water and cranberry juice. And Mm -hmm. I think it's, and actually, I think it's actually a real um, business opportunity to be honest that's a whole nother, a whole nother line of thinking. But I think um, I think some places are starting to yeah. catch on to that too. I mean, I, I'll I'll pay seven dollars for a a mocktail. Absolutely, <laughs> like, so will I. Because if I would pay that, I would pay that and more for a glass of wine. Why would I not enjoy a non-alcoholic drink that somebody put a bit of creativity into? Exactly. So I'm all over that. Bottle yeah. some basil or some like you know put some of your chef into that and make me something absolutely yeah come on yeah and that's exactly what this I know (laughs) and that's what this fellow did um he does at a restaurant in Victoria called Zambri's he's wonderful and then on Friday you know what with a um, couple of girlfriends 
Um, you know, it wasn't the best mocktail in the world, but they tried. And I feel totally supported in that decision. And, you know, I also honor, you know, other people's decision to to drink. Um, but I am working on that aspect because there's something that has happened, you know, once once you once I've come to the realization about, and I really believe that if alcohol became a thing today, all the research that's out there, I think, of course, there's lots of, you know, lobbyist money and lots of, you know, big money behind the corporations, the conglomerates that, that you know, own and um, and sell alcohol. But I really believe if it were today, they'd have a really tough time getting past some of the health implications of alcohol. Mm-hmm. And once mm-hmm. you have that information, it's really hard to see people that you love um, drinking a lot. <laughs> so I'm still managing that information in my life and not trying to look like Judgy McJudgerson with all my friends. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, mean, I love you. I, I don't want you to die I mean, young. well yeah and also like you know there it's and I and there are moments when I see people in that you know maybe that first drink or two of the socialization and they're the you know the laughs are flowing and stuff and I think I remember what it was like being in that space um but I know that I can do that without alcohol like I've come to that place where um I I've learned and I look back and even though I didn't hit a proverb proverbial rock bottom um there were some bad times with alcohol over the course of my 20s and 30s you know there were some I would say you know some big binge drinking some real you know arguments or times you know, conversations with people that were hurtful and were most definitely fueled by alcohol. And I've also come to the realization that, I mean, not only is my body telling me that it's not good for me and research is showing us that it's not good for us, I actually don't really like who I am when I'm under the influence of alcohol. And I don't think I ever did, but I just didn't stop. And I love not having those hangovers the next morning you know physically but also the thought of what the hell did I say holy shit you know I think I might have I might have hurt someone's feelings or I shared information that I shouldn't have like all of those types of things I can't Mm -hmm. put you can't put a feeling on that about how much better it feels to to know that to know what actually brought that on and to have made a decision that I don't need or want to drink, um, and it saves me from a lot of that. Um, it doesn't mean that I was a terrible person. Like there's that saying, you know, you did the best that you could, you know, with what you knew at the time. And and I really try and apply that generosity and that gentleness to myself. But I do know that, um, you know, having this awareness now and the experiences that I have in my life now and connections with people that I can have friendships and social occasions and evenings out and 
fun and joy without, you know, it has to involve alcohol. And yeah, it's, that's, I couldn't have imagined that a couple of years ago. Right? Or you're just like, oh, it's too big of a price to pay. <laughs> I don't want to give it up. But then yeah, and you had told, you told me before some of, you know, some of your less pleasant memories about when you were drinking. Mm-hmm. And it almost sounds to me like, because as I know you, you're just, you're such a delightful person. And it, you sounded like you were kind of an asshole when you were drinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sorry, I we mean, don't swear I was, word, No, but it's true. Show, like, I was but... a jerk. <laughs> No, I got Jerks, really, sorry, I, I, I would have to say that I was a bit of an aggressive person when I was drinking. Ba- well, big mouth, aggressive, and um, yeah, saying stuff that I wouldn't say. And not to say that, you know, sometimes there's, you know, it's not about saying things that needed to be said in a, in a you know, in a loving kind of pleasant way. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just combative, um, aggressive, uh, verbally, and um, yeah, just not really pleasant. So you can kind of understand why, and 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 you know, and the aspect, like I said, about like you know, sharing information and talking about things that maybe I hadn't fully processed yet and weren't ready to talk about. But alcohol has that, you know, that tendency to kind of loosen inhibitions which for somebody who's a bit of a perfectionist and a workaholic and was working with my own issues around control I think alcohol really lessened some of that in me uh, but not in a way that was healthy so mm-hmm. you know what part of my journey now and the work that I'm doing on myself is you know, I get to to reflect on and look at some areas in my life where, uh, you know, I can look at workaholism and I can look at, um, you know, different aspects of, you know, meeting new people or dating, you know, without alcohol in the mix. And it's a it's a heck of a lot easier to do that without what I call this wild card. Um, that, you know, frankly, never ends in really a positive outcome for me anyway. For other people, if it works for them and it can be a part of their life and doesn't cause, um, are you there? Oh, yeah, I just heard a ring. Sorry, that was me. (laughs) Okay, okay, sorry. My phone died and I had to call myself back in. So, sorry. Apologies okay. for that. Uh, um, I'm going to listen back to it after we're done. Maybe I'll edit it. Maybe I won't. <laughs> okay. Hey, listeners, yeah, we're guess, keeping it real. Sorry. I uh, I, Technical I difficulties the, are part of life. Aren't they, though? We just handle them. Actually, the fact of the matter is I have a phone. Uh, I, this is actually a landline, and this phone set's about 10 years old. And really, does anybody have a landline anymore? Like, it just kills me know. to go and yeah. buy a new phone. But anyway, uh, I, I apologize. I missed the last few words that you were sharing there. Um, yeah, no, I, I, think what I, I, think, I think what I was just wrapping up a thought on, you know, how, um, hmm, gone, gone. <laughs> I forget what I was saying, Jean, but it was on the <laughs> We were talking about who, 
kind of who we were and and how yeah. um, alcohol was kind of taking you to a version of yourself that didn't feel really good. Yes. Yeah. My friend Courtney, um, she talks about she's been on this show before too, and she has an expression. She says her inner growth meter, and she's so if something makes her feel bad, she's like, oh, my inner growth meter is just going off, and. Yes. Um, when you talk about those mornings of waking up and like, ugh, you know, it's like for a decade, my my inner growth meter was in the red zone every day. Yeah, might wake up in the yeah. green zone, but it crept back up again or whatever. And now mm-hmm. I just I feel really like rarely am I there. Occasionally I say something that doesn't come out the right way, and I'm like, ugh, I think I made a terrible impression, and I I'm able to go back and fix it. Because I, exactly. you're so present in your mm-hmm. mind. First of all, you identify it, and then you have no shame around it because you know it was just a mistake. It's not because you were drunk or something that you're like, oh, I have to somehow protect that. Um, yes. It just, I really feel like, I feel like I really have both feet on the ground in a way that I couldn't do when I was checking out all the time. Yeah. Yeah, that rings true for me for sure, Jean. Is is that you know the 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 morning after what the physical hangover, but also what happened last night and what did I say? And that that's yeah, that feeling of that you know the pit of your stomach going, oh God, you know I think I might have said X and I might have hurt you know somebody's feelings and and then you know I would always have the question of why why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. I'm better than this, and better mm-hmm. not in a, like a competitive way. Better meaning this actually isn't me. Why am I doing this? And that's a feeling that I don't, that, yeah, I don't, I don't miss that either. And, um, you know, combined with so many of the other reasons why I just, you know, have made the decision that I don't need alcohol. It, it's, it's the right, it's the right place for me. And I don't, you know, I don't go earlier in our conversation. I mentioned at the beginning, I was kind of hung up on, or got caught up for a while in those issues of, am I an alcoholic? Like, is this a physiological issue? Um, what's the label of how I call myself? Like, that isn't it really, that doesn't come to mind for me much anymore, unless someone else raises it. Um, for me, it's just, it's just a day-to-day experience. And I don't foresee that changing in the future, because, um, you know, this is a good place where I am right now, is not having having some of those, um, yeah, second guesses and health issues and not to mention saving money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's a $7 mocktail, come on. We're still, you know, the, the impact of, which I think a lot of people, you know, you don't always think about, but, yeah, um, it's uh, there's all kinds of benefits. That's, uh, saving money is a huge one, and the health benefits are huge. But I want yeah. to go back to what you were saying about labels because for some people, um, some people really reject the idea of a label because it feels shame-based. For some mm-hmm. people, it's empowering. Um, some people really are helped by the black and white of I am an alcoholic or I have a, um, alcohol use disorder, I can yeah. not drink. Um do you so so oh, even a word mm-hmm. like sobriety is is do you consider yourself yeah. sober um, or, or does that a, word just not yeah. seem to fit? You know, it's that's such an interesting question because 
the last um, She Recovers retreat that I was at, there was a group of us um, who had such a really interesting, engaging conversation on the subject. And, you know, there's women there who have had been involved in hip sobriety school, um, had, um, you know, been involved in, you know, different, um, what would you call them, kind of pathways. And I really thought about it. And, I, you know, I, I think if if I met somebody, like if I said to you, Jean, because you know who I am and you know, know some of my history, um, I might say, yeah, I'm sober. Um, and I think you just know what that means. In my, um, I don't, but say in my day-to-day life, if I'm at, um, you know, going out for work, for drinks, that kind of thing, what I say is I don't drink. Mm-hmm. When someone mm-hmm. wants to say, no, I don't drink. And I don't get into it. And mm-hmm. frankly, I've never been pushed on it. And I really, you know, I'm very, you know, I, I'm, I'm really glad that that's happened to date. Um, if someone um, asked me, like, oh, or, you know, what that's, what's that about? I, I would probably say, oh, there's, there's a bunch of reasons, but thanks. Oh, look at this fantastic mocktail. I just, <laughs> I don't dwell on it. I'm just really clear cut and very um, clear in my statement and, and, you know, moves on. As, as I've gotten to know, you know, people, I will share, you know, a bit more and some of the reasons. And when people know um, about my, um, you know, cancer experience, I think a lot of people smile and go, oh, right, yeah, that's why. I think they make assumptions mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. about why I'm not drinking, and that's probably, you know, and that's a really good, fair assumption. It's, it's partially, it's not the whole story, but it's enough of the story. And so I just go with that. And I think, too, that there's a little bit of, um, sometimes we talk about recoveryism, where people mm-hmm. in one program might look down on someone in a different program or someone who really values um, total abstinence from, you know, even medication might be yes. superior to someone who says, oh, well, I use medication to get sober or I use, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And um, and the fact is, like, <laughs> it's, it's everybody's decision how to do this and what is helping them live their best life. But I love the reminder that even being alcohol-free by choice isn't, I mean, it's it's sort of like, I feel like someday people will listen to these old old stories, you know, when, when we're old, and they'll listen back maybe to us having this conversation <laughs> now and think it's funny that we're even talking about this in the way that, um, because I, I would ask you, oh, do you re- do you wear sunscreen when you go in the sun? Um, do you yeah. <laughs> I kind I know. of feel like alcohol is going to fall into that same yeah. category at some point. And, yeah. of course, this week in Canada, um, uh, marijuana is becoming legal in the uh, Yes, in state correct. Here, right? Is that Monday? I think it happens yeah. on Monday. October 17th. It's Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. and, um, Weed Wednesday. Weed Wednesday. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm sure there's people that will celebrate well every year or every Wednesday, who knows? But um yeah. you know, I it's ironic that even I don't want to open a debate about health benefits of marijuana cuz mm-hmm. I understand that it's it, it is helpful in treating some things when it's used medically. However, mm-hmm. I, I just think like we have to someday we're going to really understand the long-term effects of all these things and this conversation mm-hmm. is moot. So 
Definitely, as I'm asking you questions about how you quantify your alcohol-free lifestyle with language and with mindset, Mm -hmm. isn't to sort of score you against some kind of... No, but it's a a fascinating part of this, of what I would, you know, loosely call recovery, though, is, is how not only different pathways that we use to... Uh, for wholeness and for self-care and to uh, to recovery, but it's what we call it. And there was a conference about um, a month ago that I went to in New Westminster, just outside Vancouver, and it was a recovery day conference uh, held by, sponsored by the province of BC. There's a new Ministry of Mental Health and Addictions and some other recovery organizations. And I went because I'm on I'm on the board of a um, a nonprofit. Uh, in here in Victoria, um, that we fund and support community programs that um, that support mostly women um, in their journey towards substance use and, and uh, sorry recovery from substance use and wellness. And uh, it was fascinating because you know even in this conference, you the different practitioners and academics and others, you know there really is. Um, as you say, there's the kind of the black and white, kind of like clear, um, more traditional approach. And I think that the focus now on growing what they call recovery capital, which is what are the things that are spiritual, physical, emotional, um, other aspects where we increase the likelihood that a person can have successful recovery, however you know that they define it, um, and harm reduction obviously being a big part of that conversation. There are different paths, and the 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 more that we can you know move away from uh, this might be too strong of a word, kind of like in, in you know differences within the group or infighting. It's like focusing on you know, overall, you know, wellness and getting people to that place for recovery that puts them in a better place. I think we all have to, um, you know, it can be helpful to think in that way Um, and also know that accountability is still part of that approach, right? We all have to kind of reflect on, um, you know, how we're being accountable for what we set out, you know, for for what our, our goals are. Um, but in terms of yeah the the labeling um, yeah it's it's an interesting conversation and and I respect people on on whatever path you know how they ever you know how they communicate or define what their path is and and I feel very much at home um, you know being in a shared space with people who you know uh, might characterize their sobriety in different ways and I don't I don't feel um um you know like a comparative picture like i used to and i think part of it is the more secure that i've become in my reasons um in not um you know not drinking and and drugs have never been a an issue for me i've just never really done drugs so it's not really an issue but you know for me it's been alcohol um and so i'm the more secure i am in what my reasons are in doing that then the 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 less need I've had to perhaps place myself and and think about you know how I characterize that it's just it's just you know for me it's just making that choice of not having uh, not needing and not wanting alcohol in my life. I have two quick questions for you before mm-hmm. we go. 
They're quick questions, but maybe not quick answers. So take as long as you need to answer them. But what do you think are the biggest benefits of living alcohol-free? Uh, uh, the biggest benefit for me um, has been it's been an opportunity, not always an easy one, when I feel that urge to to have a drink is to actually ask myself the bigger question of what's going on and why am I reaching for that drink? And when I know your question was, is that what the, what's, what are the benefits, Jean? And that's not always, you know, frankly, sometimes the easier route, I'm sure, is to pick up the drink. Um, but the benefit is that, um, you know, I, I have greater self-awareness of what my triggers are and being able to find out what some better coping mechanisms are for me. I'm much more self-aware than I was while I was drinking. Probably the secondary benefit, and maybe they're not so much in order, but it really is that morning after, the physical tiredness. I mean, I'm mid-40s now, and, uh, you know, I'm tired at the best of times, let alone, you know, still still slowly my body getting back to normal after cancer treatment. Um, and then the feeling of that not saying things that I didn't mean to say, not wondering about what happened, you know, on a night where I, you know, downed a bottle of wine and, you know, didn't necessarily mean to. Um, another benefit is, you know, and actually this can be a blessing and a curse, but, you know, being the person who doesn't drink um, means that I don't have to worry about driving. And with, um, you know, with drinking and driving, and, you know, I think it's it's one of those things where it's just a side benefit of not, you know, having not having to worry about that when you're going out for dinner and that kind of thing. And listening to dinner mates or friends of mine kind of back and forth, you know, in a text going, who's going to drive? How are we going to do this? What's going on? And I'm just thinking, huh, well, See you later, I don't really second. have to play a part in this anymore. And that's kind of <laughs> nice, right? Um, and I think overall it's just, you know, it sounds kind of cheesy, but I just feel that I'm living more consciously. And for me, it fits. I, I, I'm still striving to be in a place where I can own and honor that this works for me, not having alcohol in my life, and still honor for others who, you know, close friends or family who have alcohol as part of their life, and to just um, let others be others and let me be me, because sometimes that you know, provoke some thinking for me. And um, my job is to take care of myself and to not uh, manage the behavior of others when, particularly when it's not, if it's not negatively impacting me in any way. My other question for you is that you talked, um, you mentioned a couple of times that coming through cancer, you came out the other side a, a different person. And mm-hmm. I, I just wonder um, if you would just share with us what what some of those changes 
have been. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Aside from aside from uh, moving away from alcohol in your life, what else? Mm-hmm. What else? Yeah, has evolved. I mean, yeah, that could be a podcast in and of itself. But I'm gonna. <laughs> yeah, thirty seconds or less. Go. <laughs> thirty seconds. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that you know I'm not one of those people, and you know the. The, the I'll call it kind of the you know the the breasty kind of communities and women women and and some men who have experienced and gone through breast cancer treatment, you know, is as broad and as varied um, as any kind of you know group of people. Um, there are people who will say you know cancer had a silver lining and I'm you know I'm almost happy that I got it and here's all the things that I've learned and I, I'm not I wouldn't kind of go that far but what I have. Um, realized was, you know, when when I actually put out and said that I needed help and support, um, you know, I think and I think there's probably a parallel for that in recovery is that when you you let people know what your needs are, uh, how people responded in kind, and the quality and the depth of the relationships that I have with people you know, having come through what I, what I've been through, um, is definitely changed. And in terms of my transition back to the workplace, it's now been almost exactly a year since I started a gradual return to work. And I definitely, the, the weight on my shoulders now is way lighter than it used to be. There's still important decisions to be made and important, you know, work to be done, and I enjoy my work. But it is the the slice of the pie, of of that is my life, that is my time and and mental effort spent on work, is is definitely smaller, and it feels it feels excellent. And I'm and I'm still as valued, you know, in the workplace. I'm still doing good work, but. It was my own choice to say, you know, and frankly, it just doesn't, and this might sound terrible, it doesn't interest me as much as it used to because I had a year off, year and a bit off with cancer treatment where I was not, you know, Kate at work. I was Kate the woman, Kate the human being. What are my other, you know, what are my other interests? What are my interests? Who am I? And I had time to really get to know who that person is and, um, you know, for all of us, I mean, in whatever area that we work, it's, it's, it's part, perhaps it's part of us, but it had really gone into kind of the workaholic space and I don't feel that I'm in that space now. And that's just huge for me. Like that, that's, that is an influence of having the opportunity to have, you know, have um, a serious health diagnosis and be able to reflect and act on, you know, what I want to have different in my life. And I think there's going to be more changes coming. Dot, dot, dot. Just dot, 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 dot. <laughs> <laughs> You're uh, open to what's coming. I'm open, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's you know, I, I'm not a not one to make um, – quick decisions on things but you know the the possibilities uh, both professionally and otherwise I mean I think that um, how I spend my time and the people who I like to connect with and the type of work that I do I think um, 
you know, I'm really kind of mulling over some some ideas in that in that area that um, you know really fit with you know my values and what some of my my skills are and and it's and it's exciting and it's nice to be able to you know do that in a way that um, I also don't think I would be I would be as open to some of these different ways of living and working um, if I was still dealing with workplace stress and you know other ways in which I used to use alcohol as a coping mechanism I don't think that I would have had the the openness and the the freedom in my um and the creativity to be thinking some of the things that I'm thinking uh without having made a decision that uh alcohol isn't a part of my life and that's huge yeah that is huge because mm-hmm. you know you get to your mid 40s and you start to get pretty set in your ways sometimes so it's nice that you're really using this time to really be fearless and decide what you exactly want and go after exactly. it. Exactly. I love yes. it. Kate, thank yeah. you so much for sharing with me today. I really appreciate it. Um, you are so welcome. Thank you for asking ah, me and con- or, and convincing me. <laughs> and convincing you. <laughs> you have a blog that you uh, said you would share with our, our listeners. Yeah, I do. And some of my blog um, talks a lot about, you know, my experience of going through um, cancer treatment, um, but you will also see um, um, postings on my blog about um, some of my experience going through and attending some of the She Recovers retreats and and some of the, um, you know, some of the ex- those experiences and, and how I've... So my blog is on the WordPress platform, and it is West Coast K8 blog dot wordpress dot com, and that's West Coast, all one word, and then no space K number eight blog dot wordpress dot com. All right, and our listeners, if they want to reach out to you, they can reach out to you through your blog, or you can write. Uh, if you have a message for Kate, you can send it to me, thebubblehour at gmail dot com, and I will forward it to Kate so that she can respond to you. And, um, yeah, thank you so much. And before we go today, I want to share an update from a guest I had a few months ago. Her name's Victoria. And her story also included um, her battle with breast cancer. And I just wanted to let you know that I heard from Victoria today. And she's celebrating her 48th birthday and feeling that uh, life is good. And she looks forward to many more birthdays. And uh, her update says, I finished my 16 rounds of chemo. My MRI looks very, very good. Uh, They'll see more when I have my mastectomy, but there's a good chance the cancer is eradicated. I am letting my body rest. I'm very hopeful and grateful that the misery of chemo seems to be paying off. And she sends her gratitude to everyone who um, sent her words of encouragement and good health and sent up so much love for her during her chemo after being on our podcast as well. So um, yeah. for Victoria and for you, I wish you both good health and, and mm-hmm. as well to all thank of our you, listeners. Jean. Yeah, thank mm-hmm. you so much. Thank you. So um, we've gone way over our time, so I'll say no more. Uh, that's it for this episode. Until next time, everyone, take good care. 
own it. I didn't. Not proud that that was me. And 